a red bumper sticker on a, a white Buick parked in a handicapped spot closest to the entrance to the restaurant. And the bumper sticker caught my attention. Usually bumper stickers broadcast a, a sports team loyalty or a, a political posture or a parental pride in a gifted child who just happens to be an honor student. But this one was different. It was tragic. It was painful. It read, a member of my family was murdered. And I immediately felt emotion for someone who had experienced that level of loss that defined the grieving individual's life. I wished I could speak to this individual. As I entered Chick-fil-A, I, I scoped out the customers, rapidly profiling that the white Buick four-door probably belonged to a senior with some mobility challenges, not to a young family with children playing in the tubed recreation area. I identified the most likely table of diners contained four senior ladies. Wondering if they would return to that car, I watched for their departure in hopes of getting to speak with the driver if she got into the car parked there in the handicapped spot. 20 minutes later, I, I watched the ladies walk out. I followed them to the white Buick. I spoke to the driver. Excuse me, when I walked in, I saw your bumper sticker, and I just wanted to tell you how sorry I am for your loss. If she was surprised by my introduction, she didn't show it, and without missing a beat, she explained, it was my daughter. She was in an abusive marriage, and her husband killed her. I asked, how, how long ago did this happen? She said, 23 years ago. It's been 23 years. I said, I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm sure you still feel some pain every day. I do, but I'm going on with my life. That's what my daughter would want me to do. I agreed. Glad to see that she remembered her loss, but was moving forward in her healing. I asked the driver for her name and promised, I will continue to pray for you and for God to comfort you. And she smiled for the first time, and she responded, and I will pray for you. Thank you so much for asking. In the days since, when I eat at that Chick-fil-A, I lift her name to our Father in prayer, and someday in the future, I hope to see her again and, and be able to speak with her. Regardless of whether your hope thief is caused by the loss of a loved one or the, the loss of a job or whether it would reveal being cut from the team or a struggle with cutting, whether it would reflect a financial concern or a, a health upheaval, the message of Easter is that because Christ lives, hope lives. It's been said that we can live for weeks without food, for days without water, for minutes without oxygen, but we can't survive at all without hope. What causes depression in people? They've lost hope. Why do people get divorced? They feel hopeless in their marriage. Why do people attempt suicide? They have no hope that things will improve.
And Jesus took the punishment that we deserved for our sins. And after dying on the cross, he returned to life, conquering the control that death wielded over us. Though we die, we can live again forever with the Lord. The resurrection changes everything. There's a a single truth that I, I want you to embrace today, and it's this. Christ is alive and offers us the hope we all need to live. So let's return to that first Easter, and let's study from Luke chapter 24 today, beginning in verse 13. And the setting is just days after Christ's followers saw him undergo this brutal execution on a Roman cross. And two of his followers are trudging along the road to Emmaus, this small town on the outskirts of Jerusalem. They were clearly despondent, disillusioned, consumed in their grief. They previously had hope in Jesus, but it was hope displaced when he died. And that's The first thing this chapter speaks about, hope displaced. Beginning in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. We're not certain if Jesus' identity was veiled from them or if their grief just kept them from recognizing him. Either way, after watching his graphic execution, they had no expectation of ever seeing Jesus alive again. Verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still. They stopped in their tracks, their faces downcast. And one of them, Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? He said, You must be from out of town because everyone else knows what's happened. The whole city is buzzing about Jesus, this great leader and teacher, And he died this terrible death. And and now we we thought he was the one who was going to give us hope. And so Cleopas is is named here and the other traveler is unidentified. And I conjecture that the other traveler on the road was probably the wife of Cleopas, whose name was Mary. And she uh, was present when Jesus was dying on the cross. She's mentioned There being at the cross along with three other women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Salome, the sister of of Jesus' mother, Mary, and Mary Magdalene. And so the pair later would invite Jesus to return with them, presumably to their home in Emmaus, inviting him to stay with us for it is nearly night. And Cleopas had asked Jesus, are you the only one who doesn't know about the things that happened. So let's resume in verse 19. What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and, and all the people. 
And the chief priests and the other rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all of this took place. We had hoped that he was the one. Hope displaced. It is crushing when you have your hope in something or someone and it gets displaced. And this pair was devastated by the departure of Jesus. They had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. A minister friend of mine received a humorous Easter card with a, a little chocolate bunny on the cover saying, I feel hollow inside. And the truth is, every one of us knows what it's like to feel hollow inside sometimes. Maybe you're feeling that way right now. Maybe you have something in your life that hurts and it makes you feel hollow. Maybe someone lets you down or, or something you've done has left you feeling hollow. Maybe your faith is flat this Easter. Well, you are here with us today, or if you're worshiping online, you're here for a reason. I'm not sure what brought you here, but I know that many of us have been praying that you would join us in this Easter celebration. And we're glad you're here and you're in the right place. And if you're looking for something to fill a void in your life, that hollow place, you may not even realize that what you're looking for is Jesus. He is the only one able to fill the hollow place inside of every one of us. We're all a, a bit like the golfer who was addressing the golf ball from the wrong tee box, and he was teeing off for the first hole when a voice came over the, the PA announcing, Would the man on the ladies' tee please move back to the white tees? He ignored this public rebuke, but then the voice broadcasting over the PA scolded him again. Would the man on the ladies' tee please move back to the men's tee box? And the golfer turned around in frustration and shouted, Would the man on the PA please mind his own business so the man on the ladies' tee can hit his second shot? <laughs> uh, we've all failed. We've all had hope displaced. We've all been shamed. Guilty, situated on the ladies' tee of life, embarrassed that we haven't gone farther. Something's happened, and we've had our hope misplaced. And that's the second description we see in Luke 24. Let's read on in our story in verse 22 as we see hope misplaced. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They, they went to the tomb early this morning but they didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and, and found it was just as the women had said. They did not see Jesus. Sometimes we place our hope in the wrong things. Were these 
women who claim to have seen Jesus alive simply hallucinating or were they delusional, wishfully dreaming of some miraculous reversal that was impossible? Verse 25 said, Jesus answered them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. What a privilege. Wouldn't it have been nice to walk down the road beside Jesus and have him personally answer all your questions about life, the Bible, eternity? And that's what he did. Starting in the first book of the Old Testament and tracing through the rest of it, the promised Messiah told about how he was to come as a deliverer and and to free us from our problems and our pain. And I love the next verse. Verse 28 says, As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. They're stopping at their house, and he acted as though he were going to walk on farther. He, he did not want to intrude or invite himself. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us. For it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Would you notice that Jesus is a gentleman? He will never force his way into your life. He is willing and ready to transform you if you will grant him entrance and invite him to come into your life. And they saw Jesus die and the two on the road thought they must have misplaced hope by believing in Jesus. He must not have been the promised Messiah since he is dead. They wrongly concluded. Sometimes we misplace our hope by placing it in people or in a, a better paycheck or in a new car or in a bigger house or in a nicer vacation. We misplace our hope if we think we can prevent death through exercise or, or proper diet or, or modern medicine, we can postpone death by taking the proper care of our bodies, but we can't prevent death. As much as we try to fight it, avoid it, ignore it, deny it, we cannot escape the reality of death. Death is a consequence of living in this fallen world, and we all are mortal. I, I like the joke about some friends who were, were hanging out together, visiting, and the conversation grimly turned to the issue of death. And one of the friends asked the other, what would you like people to say about you at your funeral? One friend said, well, I think I would want them to say, uh, he was a great humanitarian who cared about his community. Yeah, that's good. That's good. The second said, I, I think for me, I would want people to say he was a great husband and father, an example for many to follow. The third friend gave it some thought. Then he answered, I, I think I would want to hear someone say, 
Look, he's moving. He's still alive. Well, the Bible says that we were spiritually dead. We were separated from God. But he loved us so much that he gave his son who died in our places. And then he raised Christ back to life. Easter screams that God has a plan and that he is personally involved in each of our lives. Jesus' death wasn't just a, a miscarriage of justice. It provided restitution for our wrongs as he paid the penalty owed by each of us. Judd Wilhite tells of a friend of his who used to engage in self-injury as a way of, of dealing with her pain. and her, her arm is permanently scarred, and she often hides it by wearing long sleeves. And she asked him recently, what should she say when her young daughter gets old enough to inquire about the markings? I like what he told her. He suggested, you should look her in the eye and say, these scars mean your mom survived. I did some things I regret, but I'm alive because of God's grace and he has healed me, and these scars remind me of how far I have come. The couple on the road to Emmaus had experienced having their hope displaced. They wondered, was their hope misplaced? And finally, we see they found their hope replaced. Verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us? How did they recognize Jesus? Was it a familiar phrase that... He often used when he prayed, or, or maybe it was a, a mannerism or a, a gesture that, that identified him. Or perhaps was it that they saw fresh nail wounds in his hands as he handed them the bread and they, they plucked it from his hands. In that instant, Christ's identity was revealed to them. Verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, the twelve apostles minus Judas, and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what happened on the way and, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Despite the fact that it was growing dark and dangerous, even though they had just walked seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus, it didn't matter. They left immediately to share the good news that Jesus is alive. And please don't miss this detail from the story. Opened eyes should always produce opened mouths. When we come to understand what the gospel really means, we won't be able to keep quiet about it. It's interesting that there are 71 different times in the New Testament 
in which the word hope appears. Of the 71 references, the word hope appears only one time before the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it's found 70 times after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to deduce that God wants us to know that our hope emerges from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the difference that Easter makes. Alongside of our pain and death, it's not the end for the Christ follower. It means a new life, a new beginning, a fresh start. Had Jesus remained in the grave, there would be no hope going forward. But since Christ conquered the grave, he provides us with the hope to conquer the challenges that face each of us. And that's the difference Easter makes. From a a punctuation metaphor, if you are a Christian, then death isn't the period mark. It's only a comma because your new life has already begun. Let me share this brief perspective by an unknown author. It's called Just Saying. God, can I ask you a question? Sure. Promise you won't get mad? I promise. Why did you let so much bad stuff happen to me today? What do you mean? Well, I woke up late. Yes. My car took forever to start. Okay. At lunch, they made my sandwich wrong, and I had to wait. Hmm. On my way home, my phone went dead, and just as I was picking up a call, all right. And on top of all that, when I got home, I just wanted to soak my feet in my new foot massager and relax, but it wouldn't work. Nothing went right today. Why did you do that? Let me see. The The death angel was at your bed this morning, and I had to send one of the other angels over to battle him for your life, and I I let you sleep through that. Uh, I I didn't let your car start because there was a drunk driver on your route that would have hit you now if you had been on the road, and the first person who made your sandwich today was sick, and I didn't want you to catch that, what he had, so I, I knew you couldn't afford to miss work. Oh. Okay. Your phone went dead because the person that was calling was going to give you false information, and I didn't even let you talk to him so you would be covered. I see God. Oh, and uh, that foot massager? It, It had a shortage that was going to throw out all the power in your house tonight, and I didn't think you wanted to be in the dark. I'm sorry, God. Don't be sorry. Just learn to trust me in all things, the good and the bad. I will trust you. And don't doubt that my plan for your day is always better than your plan. I won't, God. Let me just tell you, God, thank you for everything today. You're welcome, child. It was just another day of being your God and I love looking after my children.
I heard a statistic that April is the month with the most people who take their own lives, who give in to the deceiver's taunts that life is hopeless. And you may have seen a powerful song this week on an American Idol. A young lady, 16-year-old Haven Madison, had written and sung this song originally for her brother who was struggling with having the hope to, to go on living. So I'm going to ask that we, we black out all the lights and, and you watch this video clip with me. Isn't that good? Satan likes to whisper to us in our difficulties, it's hopeless. There's no way out. Face it, he says, you, you might as well give up. And that may have appeared to be a true statement 2,000 years ago on a dark Friday afternoon on a hill far away. But I want to remind you that Jesus paid your sin debt and mine. Then came Easter Sunday, and because Christ lives, hope lives. Friend, listen, God brought you here this Easter to say to you, you are not stuck in your past. I am not finished with you. You may have given up on me, but I have not given up on you. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you that we are not on our own. You have not left us alone, but you have provided a way of escape from the consequences of our disobedience. We thank you for your grace, for your forgiveness. We know it came at a high cost, at a great price. We thank you for Jesus who served as our sacrifice and who provides us with the hope that we, we each need. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. That song we just heard was, I Needed You. I'm going to ask you to stand right now, and together we're going to sing, Lord, I Need You. <laughs>